Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi, I'm Chelsea Clinton, and this is In Fact a podcast about why public health matters. After so much grief, fear, and uncertainty, I know many people are eager to put COVID-19 behind us, but we're not out of the woods yet. And there are so many lessons that we must learn from this pandemic to be better prepared for the next one. COVID-19 isn't the first pandemic that has swept the globe. The 1918 flu pandemic infected one third of the world's population. And in more recent history, the Obama administration created a pandemic playbook for how to address, quote, a high consequence emerging disease threat anywhere in the world, because public health officials have long worried that there could be another global pandemic. So just how unprecedented has this last year been? What have we learned from past crises? What can we learn from this one? And how prepared is our country and our world for the next pandemic? We're talking about all of this with someone who has become, for many, the public face of our government's response to COVID-19, Dr. Anthony Fauci. Dr. Fauci was appointed director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases back in 1984, during a hugely consequential moment in the HIV AIDS pandemic. His research was crucial to understanding how the virus works. 
and he was one of the leading architects of the President's Emergency Plan for AIDS Relief, or PEPFAR, which has helped save millions of lives around the world. He's advised seven presidents on how to prevent, diagnose, and treat a long list of infectious diseases, including HIV AIDS, respiratory infections, diarrheal diseases, tuberculosis, malaria, Ebola, and Zika. He's been leading the U.S. government's efforts to combat this pandemic, working nonstop with his team and communicating consistently and honestly with Americans every step of the way. I was honored to welcome him to the podcast. So, Dr. Fauci, it's become almost a cliche to say this is an unprecedented time. And I'm just curious, given that you have lived through other pandemics, worked in other pandemics, how much of this feels unprecedented and how much of it feels eerily familiar? Well, Chelsea, the only eerily familiar thing about it is the unpredictable nature of outbreaks where you're just going along and then all of a sudden something comes up. It could be subtle the way HIV this month in the next few days, we're commemorating the 40th anniversary of the realization that we were dealing with a new syndrome. We didn't know what the microbe, the pathogen was. We didn't even have a name for it back in June and July of 1981. Having had, I guess I would call it the privilege in some respects, but also the painful experience of being involved in that from the very first day, that sort of snuck up on you. It was low level, below the radar screen. Then as we learned more and more about it, we found out we were dealing with just the tip of the iceberg when we saw people who were very, very sick, not knowing until we had a test that we were dealing with something where there were literally millions of people infected. So the fact that outbreaks are unpredictable, they come in strange ways, that's the common denominator. The difference with this that validates the statement it's unprecedented, is that when you're dealing with something as explosive as this, which has a couple of characteristics that I have often referred to almost ironically years ago is, what is your worst nightmare, Dr. Fauci? People would ask me that five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, and longer. I would always say it was the emergence of a new virus, generally jumping species from an animal host to a human, that had two characteristics. One, that it is extraordinarily efficient in spreading from human to human. And two, that it has the capability of a great degree of morbidity and mortality. And when you put those two things together, that's when you get my worst nightmare. And that's exactly what we're experiencing because we have not had anything like this in well over 100 years since the historic influenza pandemic of 1918. So there is a, a very strong, true element of this being unprecedented, at least in over 100 years. You know, and Dr. Fauci, there's an, an adage in public health that outbreaks are inevitable, but epidemics aren't. Now, with the benefit of both hindsight and your decades of experience in pandemics, what do you think we could have done differently in January or February to help save American lives and save lives across the globe? Yeah. In some respects, it is not answerable because you could certainly have done things differently if you knew things differently. So you could say to yourself, in this country, what could we have done if we knew back in January what we know right now is the characteristics that I'm telling you, it's extraordinary ability 
to efficiently spread from human to human. The fact that 50 to 60% of the transmissions occur from someone who is infected but has no symptoms at all. We know anywhere from a third to 40% of the people who get infected never develop any significant symptoms at all that would bring attention to any medical intervention. So back then, if we knew that we were dealing with, in this country, something as extraordinary as this and its ability to spread, we would have done something that likely would have not been acceptable to the American public. Like when we had the first case in, I think it was January 21st, to say, okay, it's here. And then a few days later or a week or two later, it became clear that there was community spread. It's just there, which means someone infected someone and you don't have the chain of transmission locked in. You don't know where the person got it from. That being the case, that means it's spreading in society beneath the radar screen. If we had known its capability of spreading, we could have said, let's shut the country down right now to prevent it. I think there would have been such extraordinary pushback to say, well, wait a minute, what are you talking about? We have one or two cases. You want to shut the country down? That's crazy. So when you ask me a question, what could we have done differently? Well, now that we have 590,000 deaths, you go back and say, wow, look what this has done. We maybe could have prevented some of those had we really shut down earlier and prevented the spread. But, you know, if you look throughout the world, Chelsea, even countries that appear to have done well early on, every country has gotten hit really badly. Even some of the Asian countries now that we pointed to as models of their response are now starting to get into trouble including places like Taiwan and Singapore and Vietnam and places like that, who seem to have done very well on the first waves. You made a comment that resonates with me, is how do you prevent an outbreak from becoming a pandemic? So I don't think we're necessarily going to be able to prevent the emergence of new microbes. They've occurred historically for as long as and before history even recorded it. History is full of them. But in answer to your question, how do you prevent that from becoming a pandemic? And that's when we talk about lessons learned. What can we learn having gone through this, where the United States was ranked by public health agencies as being the best prepared country in the world for a pandemic? And we got hit among the top three with Brazil and India as the three worst in the sense of numbers of cases and deaths. And Dr. Fauci, do you think that that is because we were prepared for previous pandemics and not future ones? I mean, were we ready to fight the last war and not the next war? I think it's partially that, not completely. I think it was. There were things that went wrong early on, and that was the, the issue with the testing, that we didn't have a good testing system for a considerable period of time. And we were testing only symptomatic people because we're not fully aware that asymptomatic spread was really, really very important. So those are the things that I think could have been done differently. And then, you know, I don't want to relitigate what went on last year, but there were things that I think could have been done better. Although I live in New York now, I grew up uh, in Arkansas and then moved when I was 12 to D.C., And it is heartbreaking to me, Dr. Fauci, that Arkansas, Louisiana, Tennessee, Mississippi, so much of the South 
have vaccination rates that are half of what we see in the Northeast. Since you've had to communicate now over so many decades, so many different public health challenges and also imperatives, how do you think we rebuild trust in science and especially trust in in vaccines and vaccinations? That is something that is not going to happen easily, Chelsea. I think that we may have to find ways, and and that's a complicated issue, as you all know probably better than I do. It's a complicated issue of how you heal uh, the differences and, and the hostility. I mean, I've been the object myself of a phenomenal amount of hostility merely because I'm promoting what are really fundamental, simple public health principles. That seems astounding that that would generate a considerable degree of hostility. But it is. It is. So I don't think the answer is intensifying the hostility and pointing figures. I think the approach is to outreach, to try and understand each other better and realize that we have differences But those differences should be the source, you know, of strength in some respects and not the source of chaos. (laughs) So I I don't I don't know the answer to your question. It's a seemingly simple question with a complicated answer. We've got to reach out to people and get them to understand that this is for their own safety, their own health. And also what I refer to as communal responsibility, your responsibility to society, because There is a thing called the chain of transmission of an outbreak. And one of the very interesting, and I must say quite unique aspects of SARS-CoV-2 and COVID-19 is that the same virus that has killed almost 600,000 Americans makes many, many people have no symptoms at all. It just doesn't bother them. I mean, there's 30, 40% of the people get no symptoms at all. So that is in many respects unprecedented to have that situation. Usually when you have something as potentially deadly as this, it makes just about everybody a little bit sick. This is something where there were people who were saying, why should I get vaccinated? The chances of my getting into trouble are very, very low. And they're correct. If you look at the rate of hospitalizations of young people, it's not zero. It's small compared to the rate among elderly people and among people with underlying conditions. But there are a couple of things there that people don't fully understand. You're not completely exempt because a lot of young people wind up getting into trouble. Statistically, not nearly as many as the elderly and those with underlying conditions. But there's another aspect of it. Let's say you get infected and you don't get any symptoms at all. And you can say, there, see, I got infected, big deal. What's the difference? The difference is that it is conceivable and maybe likely that even though you got no symptoms, that you would inadvertently and innocently, I'll use that word, pass it on to someone else who would then pass it on to someone else who would then get a serious consequence. So there is a degree that have to consider of what is my societal responsibility of not being part of the chain of transmission as opposed to being a dead end for the virus? So do you want to be a dead end for the virus or do you want to be a situation where you're part of the transmission chain, which would get other people in trouble. But that's tough to get that concept across. I mean, Dr. Fauci, I never thought I would say I wanted to be a dead end, but yes, here I am, like very happy (laughs) to be fully vaccinated and a a dead end. We'll be right back. Stay with us. 
Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash iHeart. That's LifeLock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandslots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. I do, though, want to ask about preparedness because... I think probably a lot of people are now, as we are vaccinating the country, I know a lot of people want to put COVID in the rearview mirror, leave it in 2021, not worry about it again. But we know that the virus is not done with us until we have everyone vaccinated. And we know we need to learn lessons from this to help better prepare us going forward. So what lessons do you think we need to learn? And how do you think your work at the NIH has to adapt? How do you think the Biden administration has to adapt? 
what concrete things have to happen to ensure we are better prepared for the inevitable next time? Okay, so two components to, to my answer, Chelsea. The first is that when you're dealing with a global pandemic, you have to have a global response. We're not going to be safe on this planet until the pandemic is controlled globally. So right away, it is not necessarily a lesson, but almost a mandate that we really need to help the rest of the world as, as a rich country get this under control. Because if there's still viral dynamics somewhere, even if we get this under very good control here, there's always the danger of the generation of variants, which then would make our protection somewhat tenuous, even with the vaccines. That's the first thing. When you look at the future, what lessons learned for the future, we need to also prepare in a global way. There was a thing called the Global Health Security Network or the Global Health Security Agenda, where you have interconnectivity among countries of the world, good, modern, up-to-date communications, sharing of reagents, sharing of, of specimens, continued good collaboration and communication, building up in the local areas, the public health infrastructure that would allow them to respond and quench something when it breaks out in any given country. Because outbreaks generally don't start spontaneously in 25 countries. They generally start as a jumping of species, usually not always, from an animal reservoir to a human, and then it spreads to the rest of the world. That doesn't mean that you gotta blame the country where it happened, it just so happens. But you've got to have those countries prepared to be able to contain it. So that's the thing with preparedness. The other thing from a scientific standpoint is that we are very fortunate that we have made decades and decades of investment in basic and clinical biomedical research, which has allowed us to do something that's unprecedented, to get a vaccine in which a virus was first identified in January of 2020, and then in December of that same year, 11 months later, to be putting vaccine into people's arms that's 94 to 95% efficacious. If we were having this conversation 10 years ago, you would have told me I was completely crazy thinking that that would happen. It usually takes years and years. And the speed was not because we were reckless, in doing things and cutting corners. The speed was related to the extraordinary amount of investment that was made over the previous decades in clinical and basic research. So there are another component of lessons learned. We need to continue to make the investments in research that will allow us to have the scientific component of the response be optimal. And fortunately for us, that's what happened with regard to the vaccines. Dr. Fauci, you, you mentioned earlier the global health security agenda, which, while it had antecedents over many years, really got codified in the aftermath of Ebola and of the United States saying what has happened in Western Africa is clearly a tragedy for people there, but it is a danger to us here too. And we do need to have more robust public health architecture everywhere. And then that wasn't a priority for the Trump administration, but it wasn't really a priority for the world. I do admittedly have a little bit 
of a concern that once we are through COVID-19, I worry we might lose focus on the need to build robust global architecture to help protect public health everywhere. Well, Chelsea, I definitely share your concern. And the reason I do is from my experience in that corporate memory for things that have been very, very difficult in the sense of responding and preparing is often short-lived. And when you put this behind us, we will be dealing with problems that are real and present. Yet it's difficult to get people to understand that the threat of an outbreak is perpetually a real and present danger. So what we've got to do as a globe, as, as a planet, as a community of nations, is to just make sure we tell ourselves that when we get this under control, that we've got to say never again and mean it. And never again means to really put the effort into the kind of preparation that will require considerable resources. And even though it's tough to convince people to give resources to something that isn't happening now, we've got to call back the memory of 2019 2020 and 2021. Because as we started off in the beginning of this podcast, the fact is that this is really what happened to us. It just came out of nowhere and it just immobilized us for such an extraordinary period of time. I and mean, we're in our second year now. The economy has been wrecked by this for sure, not only here in the United States. Thank goodness we're recovering now, but it's still a lot of people out of work. I think those kinds of memories should spur us on to make sure we are adequately prepared next time around. Well, and hopefully we'll spur us on returning to a comment that you made earlier that I am in vigorous agreement with that we have a responsibility to help vaccinate the world. And while I certainly appreciate President Biden's commitment to donate 70 million doses by July 4th, we know we can't effectively donate our way out of this. So I am curious, Dr. Fauci, if we think about the architecture that we really need to help protect public health globally, while often the focus is on surveillance and specimen collecting, testing, what do you think it should be for vaccine research and development, for example, or the actual ability to manufacture and to guarantee the quality of vaccines in the next generation? I'm with you 100% on that. And that is referring to building up the capacity and the ability to do technology transfer so that when you have an outbreak, it isn't only companies in Switzerland, the United States, and the UK, but you have plants and companies and technology and the knowledge to do it in Senegal and Ethiopia and South Africa and Indonesia and Brazil and Chile, so that when you have an outbreak, you do have the capability. And that is building up not only the infrastructure of public health to do surveillance and monitoring, but also the ability to respond at a global level. To rely on donations is a quick, immediate, partial fix. But the real, durable, sustainable fix now in the future is to allow other countries that generally don't have that capacity to be able to make vaccine in a timely fashion and not depend completely on donations from the rich country. The rich country should donate if they have to, 
But the real ultimate solution is to have a world where it's evenly distributed, where there's equity and opportunity to make your own countermeasures. In this case, it would be vaccines and therapeutics. We're taking a quick break. Stay with us. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Dr. Fauci, you mentioned earlier that you've been under quite a bit of personal attack for talking about things that should be, I would argue, like fairly non-controversial, like the importance of vaccines and vaccinations. And we know that so many of our public health officials have been under inordinate stress working day after day without rest to try to help protect public health over the last year and a half. And, And we know that many public health officials have also received you know, horrific abuse and that the mental health toll has been really immense. What do you think we need to do to try to help support everyone who's really been on the front lines to recover from this horrifically stressful time as hopefully we recover Mm -hmm. as a country? Yeah, well, you're pointing out something that I think everyone hopefully will ultimately recognize is the extraordinary courage 
and effort that has been put in by our frontline healthcare workers. I mean, they truly are the heroes and the heroines of this. The physical risk that they took are taking to take care of people. The physical and mental strain of seeing people every single day dying right in front of you with very little that you can do, particularly when you're dealing with people who have underlying conditions in which when they get hospitalized, they're in very, very difficult straits. It's a reality. We've lost close to 590,000 people in this country. That's terrible for the losses of those people and their families. But what people don't appreciate, because I've been there, I've been there and I know what, what it means, the terrible strain and stress when you're trying your best to save someone's life and they just lose, you lose them person after person after person. We've got to pay attention to the stress and probably a good degree of post-traumatic stress that those people have. So I think attention to mental health issues is something we really absolutely have a responsibility to do for people who've given it everything and yet have exhausted themselves in the process. You know, Dr. Fauci, I want to be respectful of your time. I also want to end on an optimistic note. We spoke earlier about how the COVID-19 vaccines were accelerated through just extraordinary amounts of attention and investment and collaboration really across the globe. And so I just am curious, what else that is being worked on currently at the NIH do you think is close to a breakthrough and that could similarly really help save and protect a lot of lives soon? Yeah. And it's in multiple fields of medicine, not just infectious disease. But one of the things that we're having a lot of optimism now, you know, we've done spectacularly well in the development of life-saving drugs for persons living with HIV to the point now, if you're infected, you get put on one pill that contains three drugs and you can go essentially lead a, almost a normal lifespan. So we've done well there. The thing that has been the challenge is the vaccine for HIV. But I believe some of the technologies that have been developed and shown to be highly successful, like the mRNA vaccine platform technology for COVID-19, is now being actively pursued in the field of HIV and in other areas of medicine, including cancer and other infectious diseases. That's what I think is perched for breakthroughs. Also, when the field of immunotherapy for cancer, I mean, the more we learn about how we can control the regulation of the immune system. They're going to be cancers that have been beyond the reach of cures that likely will now, for the first time, see that you can actually marshal the immune system's response. Cancer immunotherapy has been, in some areas, quite successful, but in some areas, still very frustrating. I think you're going to see a lot of that frustration turn to good results within a reasonable period of time. So there's never been a time more exciting in the field of biomedical research than now. And, and that's the reason why we are so grateful for the support that we continue to get from the Congress and from multiple administrations, because it certainly has given us an extraordinary tool for COVID-19. If it were not for that, we would be in much, much more dire straits than we are right now with regard to this pandemic. Dr. Fauci, thank you so much for your leadership and for your time today, for giving me kind of things to be optimistic about, but also, of course, things to still worry about and work on. So thank you so very much. Thank you very much, Chelsea. I appreciate you having me on your show. Thank you. 
Dr. Anthony Fauci is the director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases at the U.S. National Institutes of Health, or the NIH. If you're not yet vaccinated, go to vaccines.gov to find a vaccine site near you. And anyone can visit wecandothis.hhs.gov to join in a month of action to help get as many people vaccinated as possible. And volunteers, even if you're vaccinated, who take at least five actions may be invited to the White House in July. And as we reflect on what our country has been through, let's keep listening to scientists and experts like Dr. Fauci and his team. Let's keep asking hard and important questions so that we can learn from what's worked and what hasn't, so we are better prepared for the inevitable next time. And to any of our listeners who have been on the front lines of this crisis as a nurse, doctor, researcher, or anyone else in the world of public health, thank you. Our country owes you a huge debt of gratitude. And I hope that you're taking care of your own health too, physically and mentally. In Fact is brought to you by iHeartRadio. We're produced by Erica Goodmanson, Lauren Peterson, Kathy Russo, Julie Subrin, and Justin Wright. With help from the Hidden Light team of Barry Lurie, Sarah Horowitz, Nikki Huggett, Emily Young, and Huma Abedin. With additional support from Lindsay Hoffman. Original music is by Justin Wright. If you liked this episode of In Fact, please make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And tell your family and friends to do the same. If you really want to help us out, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks again for listening and see you next week. Open a limited time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. 
Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org.